you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, if you have a, a Bible, would you turn to Matthew 26? Uh, that's the very first book of your New Testament, Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be in verses 1 through 16 today as we work our way, continue to work our way through the gospel. If you're looking at your watch um, in full recognition that VBS and Lord's Supper are taking place, you get a 30% discount on the length of the sermon. So we're going to be all right. All right. We, 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 we plan these things. Uh, you know that feeling that you get when you're at an amusement park like Six Flags or Disney World or one of those other places, Carowinds or whatever, and you've been in line at the roller coaster for like two hours, and you finally get assigned to that specific stall that leads directly to the cart that you're going to ride in. There's still like two or three couples ahead of you that are going to ride, but you can actually see the faces on the people as they get in, and they've kind of got that happy, nervous look, and then when they come off, they have this other look, you know, which may be like, can't believe my mom made me do that, or, or dad, and that may, maybe, or wow, I can't believe that was way, way better than I thought, something like that. You know that feeling? I want you to get that, that feeling um, going in your mind, um, and because all prior to that, right, you're in line, you could hear the screams, you could watch sections of the roller coaster go, but when you actually get in that stall and can see the faces of people who are experiencing or have experienced what you're getting ready to experience, it elevates your sense of excitement and anticipation, okay? That is the feeling that Matthew wants you to have when you come to Matthew 26, okay? Um, he has been building and building and building and building to this moment right here, all right? So Rodney gets a pass, guys. Everybody else turn your phone off, but Rodney's got, this is real business when that phone rings for Rodney, okay? Um, look at Matthew 26, verses 1 through 2. When Jesus finished saying all these things, he told his disciples, you know that the Passover takes place after two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Okay? Now, this statement is not a new statement to the disciples from Jesus' mouth. Um, in, in fact, Jesus had said this several times to his disciples, and at least three of those are recorded in Matthew. You go back to chapter 16, verse 21. Jesus said this, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he, one, must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders and chiefs and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised again. That was Matthew 16. Chapter 17, verse 22, when they came together in Galilee, he told them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. That's different. It's more detail. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And then again in chapter 20, verse 18, we're going to go up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death, and they will turn him over to the Gentiles and be mocked and flogged and crucified. Did you see the buildup? It's like being in a line for a roller coaster. There's, as Jesus has come along, he's giving buildup. First he just says, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be raised again. Okay. I'm going to be betrayed, and then I'm going to die, and then I'm going to be raised again. 
their Gentiles are going to be involved. There's going to be mocking. There's going to be flogging. And there's going to be, I'm not, going to, not just going to die. I'm going to be crucified. It gets very specific. And now in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 26, Jesus says, when it's going to happen. Two days. Passover is two days away. And the Son of Man will be handed over and crucified. So here's what, here's what Matthew is doing in this gospel. I skipped over this. But he is, he is giving you a three different angles look at how Jesus came to be crucified. Okay? And the first angle is Jesus' angle, and it's a prophecy. It's a prediction. This is going to happen. I am... Um, I, documentaries have become like my favorite form of television. Is anybody into documentaries, right? Documentaries are like, it's like guilt-free television. You know what I mean? It's like, are you watching television again? But it's a documentary. It's like you get a pass uh, because it's a documentary. So I was watching this guy, and if it's about religion, like you're actually learned if you watch religious-based documentaries or you need a life. But I was watching a documentary on, uh, on, on HBO about a cult that I grew up watching on the news called Heaven's Gate. All right? Has anybody seen this documentary? You remember this cult, right? So this cult thought that for sure an alien, was, a spacecraft was going to, which are all in the news, which is why I was watching it. So there's, there's an alien craft that's going to come and it's going to extract the believers in this, in this thing and take them effectively to the, a new kingdom, the, the realized kingdom, the next level. That's what they called it. Okay, But after you know, 15, 20 years, when it became apparent to them that, hey, maybe that's not going to happen... Um, they began to reframe or reformulate their beliefs to fit this new realization. And so it, they began to say, no, it's not that we're going to actually be taken by an alien craft and t- into the next level, but we're going to deliver ourselves to the next level through our death. Okay? Now, in that documentary, there's a religion professor who is waxing eloquent. That's Sorry, that was for you. Yeah. Um, who was waxing eloquent about cults and religion. And, he's, and he equated that mentality, the reformulation, the reorganization of their beliefs around this new reality. He equated this to Jesus. And that's when I, you know, threw something at my, you know, threw my phone across. I'm just kidding. I just, like, you, this, it was so, okay, here, here's what he said. He said that all of Jesus' followers had expected an earthly Messiah, which we've talked about a lot, right? But that once Jesus died, that they had to reframe the story. That they had to reformulate the story. They had to retell, restructure their beliefs in order to validate the fact that he died and died. (laughs) And And the religion professor said, no one had ever said anything about the Jewish Messiah before not being an earthly king. And it which was total nonsense. It's like the guy had never read the Old Testament at all in any way. Like he had never read a gospel message at all in any way. Because anything that we know about Jesus, we know from the Bible. And every gospel account clearly communicates that Jesus himself knew what was coming. And he talked about it again and again and again. It was always the plan to say nothing about the Old Testament, which we're going to use right over here today. So Matthew wants you to know. On the way to Jesus' death, 
this was known and planned from the beginning of time. Okay? But that's not everybody's perspective. Look at verses 3 through 5. There's the prediction, but there's also a plot going on. Well, uh, the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the courtyard of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they conspired to arrest Jesus in a treacherous way and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, so there won't be rioting among the people. Now, I want you to catch the irony here. Jesus has just prophesied that he's going to die in two days on, over the Passover. And the very people who want him dead and who will be a part of the process of carrying out his death are plotting to do this well after the Passover so that they uh, won't have any kind of, or there'll be less social fallout for his death. So they, there is a plot to have Jesus killed on a delay, and yet there, there is a prediction, a prophecy by Jesus to have him actually die on the Passover. Okay, So the Lord was working for it to be on the Passover, even while men were working for it to be after the Passover. Um, so you see the irony of this. Both are going to death, but one wants it one way, and then one, one wants it the other. You have the Lord and you have men. Who do you think is going to win? Okay. So Now, this is, this is, this is challenging to those of you with a, a will or a volition or who like being responsible. I read yesterday an article on CNN. Um, I'm not really sure. I, just flipping through Apple News, and it just struck me. And then after I got into it, I realized I had, like, gotten sucked into some clickbait thing that I didn't really want to finish, but still it was illustrative, okay? It was a story about a couple now in their 40s, and they'd met about 25 years ago in Europe. They were each backpacking, like after grad school, I'm going to take six weeks through the summer before I actually have to become an adult and get a job and all those things. So they were backpacking, and they met in a hostel in Germany. And it was like instant connection, love, right? Right, just instant. And they spent the whole day together, evening together, and, um, and talked late into the night, and then they went back to the hostel, their separate ways to go to bed, and both of them were, both of them were like, he's the one, she's the one, he's the one, she's the one, and they woke up in the morning, and he could not find her. She was gone, okay? Because her approach was, man, fate, fate brought us together. If we're supposed to be together, I'm going to keep doing my trip. Fate will bring us back. And his point was, no, providence favors the prepared. <laughs> he was a Boy Scout, right? Like, that was, that was their, you know, their, their mentality. And there's a, it's a, a clickbait story, but it worked out. They got married. They're still married. All is well, right? I have a couple of proverbs for you about this. Because man is trying to, to bring about something, and the Lord has, has long, if you want to put time to it, long prepared something to happen. Proverbs 19.21, many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. I like the New Living translation of Proverbs 16.33. We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Have you ever studied any probability in your high school math? That is not something that God has studied. 
I do not pretend to understand our volition, our will, and our responsibility, and all that plays out with the sovereignty of God. But when it came to the death of Jesus, the leaders and the elders and the Romans did everything they could to make sure Jesus was going to die, and they were a part of God's plan from the beginning of time. It was a sin to kill an innocent man, and it was the will of God for him to die for the, for the sin of man. Y'all, my mind is blown. Okay? So there's an angle. There's the prophecy, and then there's the, the plot, and then lastly, there's a preparation, which is where we'll land and spend most of our last five minutes together. So with all this craziness in mind, look at verses 6 and 7. Jesus is not the least bit surprised at what happened in the next part of this verse. While Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman approached him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, and she poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. So this account is actually in a couple of other Gospels as well. And so we're gonna, when I make allusions to names and whatnot, Matthew has this way of leaving out names, but the other Gospel writers include. Um, so here's what's going on. Simon is called Simon the leper, okay? like so identified with the disease that he had until Jesus healed him of it. Um, he's now back in town, got his house back, is hosting a dinner. He's fully healed and restored. And he's got Jesus there, and he's got Mary and Mary. He's in Bethany, right? This is where Jesus has healed Lazarus. So Lazarus is there. This is, a, this is quite the shindig, okay? If Jewish people had shindigs back then, that's what it was, okay? Lazarus is a total rock star because he had been dead and was now having supper, all right? So really incredible time. And during this dinner... Matthew doesn't tell you who it is, but it's Mary. It's a Mary. She comes to Jesus with an alabaster jar. Alabaster is a mineral made of gypsum. It's like a calcium sulfate kind of thing, so you can shape it and form it into a jar, and she has. And it's filled with very expensive perfume, quote, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Now, if you think that essential oils have overplayed their hand in our day, okay, right, their use is nothing compared to what they were back in Jesus' day, okay? Oils and ointments and liniments, the new word that I learned this week, these are called unguents. I did not know that, U-N-G-U-E-N-T-S. They use them for everything, okay? Just like doTERRA or that other company, that name I can't remember right now, what have you used them for? Cleansing, cleansing, cleaning, medicinal uses, ceremonies, traditions, oils were everywhere. In fact, one of the one of the things that a Jewish person would, uh, if you were hosting a dinner, um, even though they, they would, you know, on their hair and maybe on their shoulders, on their clothing, to enhance the fragrance of the feast that you were going to have, okay? Instead of, you know, putting a scentsy candle off in the corner, you would put oil on everybody to make sure the room smelled good. Small room, you know, and showers weren't easy to come by. But that's not what Mary is doing. The perfume that Mary uses is nard, Okay, this is an Indian oil that comes from the nard plant grown there. This was the holy grail of oil. Okay, this was the frankincense. This was the, the rose. Okay, if you use just a little bit of nard oil, on an, you would only do so on an occasion that you intended to display an, an immense amount of devotion 
and, um, and joy. Okay? So it would have been an incredible thing for, Jesus to put, for, for Mary to put two or three drops of this oil on Jesus' head. Okay? But instead, she takes 16 ounces, a pound of oil. It would have taken a man more than a year's work to earn this oil. And she pours it all over Jesus' head. And, and in John's gospel, she takes her hair and wipes his feet with it. Okay. Now look at the disciples' reaction in verse 8 and 9. Okay? When the disciples saw it, they were indignant, and they said, Why this waste? They asked, This might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. Now I think there, I think there are two things happening here. One of me is like, are, are the disciples like mansplaining Mary right now? Right? Just, just part of me thinks like, you know, what does she know? She's a woman or whatever. But the other part of it is, remember last week, what did Jesus say at the very end of chapter 25 in the, in the parable of the sheep and the goats? What's the most profound display of gospel truth? I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me thirst. I was needy and you cared. The care for the oppressed. Part of me wonders if the disciples aren't going, see, Jesus, we were listening. We're going to be your disciples. We want to be sure that we're sheep. If Mary knew, if she had been any, paying any attention to what you had been saying, she would have sold this nard oil and given it away to the poor, just like you taught us, Jesus. But Jesus has a different response. And it's not contrary to his teaching, because he knows what's up. Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? <laughs> See, they're not even trying to be right. They're, they're, it's showmanship. That's why I say mansplaining. She's done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. By pouring this perfume on my body, she has prepared for me, prepared me for burial. That's what she was doing. And she knew what she was doing. And Jesus knew what she was doing. And Jesus says in response, Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Proclaimed, told, same word. As what I have done, gets what I'm going to do is going to get proclaimed everywhere. This story will accompany it and her name will be remembered. So there's a lot I could say about this, but I just want to focus on one thing as we close. I find it fascinating that in, view of, in full view of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, that Mary anoints him as a memorial, which Jesus well deserved, and she knows it, but even in receiving it, Jesus turns this moment into a memorial for her. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told. And there we are. The meaning of life right here in your Bible. Jesus wants us to remember her acting in faith in memory of him. Folks, listen. In a world where we are so hungry for tweets and retweets and followers and 
likes so that we can just have 15 seconds or 15 minutes of fame or 15 months of having to relive something that we told in our story back then. Jesus says, it's the person who memorialized me that gets memorialized. And that is the meaning of life, to memorialize Jesus. That is it. If you want to be remembered, we need to do as Mary did. Okay? Memorialize Jesus. Build the gospel truth into your own life, into the lives of those around you. Don't seek a platform so that you can be made much of, but give away whatever platform you may be given so that Jesus can be remembered and known. That is why we talk about Mary. And that is what Jesus wants us to do as we look ahead to his death and burial and resurrection. Let's pray together. Father, we, we see from three different sides here. It's a plan, even their plots, and then there's preparation. So we are, um, we are in awe of the fact that whether we are, whatever our perspective may be, that we look at your death and your resurrection and go, God, I can't believe this happened. What a terrible tragedy. No, we, we, we can't do that. We, we have to recognize that it was the plan all along, and we celebrate, and we, we want to connect with Mary and memorialize you and, and, and remind ourselves that you are doing this for our good to be right with you. So we want to sing in response. We want to take communion in response to remember you. And we pray that in memory of you, we live bold lives that make much of you, that we live our lives in memory of you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.